Hey folks, welcome back to the Well Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Ayers. And in this podcast, we want to share mentorship to learn how to hunt, fish, and gather wild food. Our goal is to reduce barriers and create an inclusive and welcoming community for all folks who want to learn how to eat wild. So join us as we share stories, ethics, adventures, and knowledge about a way of life that's rooted in eating wild. Hey folks, welcome back to the Wild Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Ayers. Hey, so we are days away from our wild wedding feast. Of course, Mickey and I are getting married uh, July 23rd, 2020. Um, and we've been harvesting game all year and fish lately um, to put together this amazing meal for 200 of our favorite people in the world. Uh Along the way on this journey, uh, I, I got turned on to this idea of flip-flopping, uh, flip-flopping hind legs over the fire. And um, so in this episode, there, there, there's Andy Mokel, who is uh, a fellow down in the States. He's actually kind of pioneered this flip-flopping concept. And uh, I got turned on to him through social media. And... Uh, and I wanted to sort of pick his brain about how to how to do this technique, but also it turns out as I researched Andy, he's a passionate hunter and conservationist and adventurer and hunting educator and just an all around interesting guy. And he's he's jumped he was jumped at the idea to come and hang out with us. So I'm also joined by Jody Peck. Jody Peck is a good friend of ours, and she's been uh, on the podcast a few times. Um, her background, of course, she's a wild chef. She does all of our a lot. Of, she helps us with a lot of our workshops and courses. She actually does a a fire cooking workshop with Eat Wild and of course caters a number of our of our um, events such as the Hunter Field Skills Workshop um, and also just good good friend and so she'll be cooking at our wedding. So this was kind of a fun hang. We got a chance to get Andy on the phone here and talk through the flip-flop method and, and sort of dove into some other stuff and there's some common ground with uh, within both of our communities despite being thousands of miles apart. So all right. Well, I'm looking forward to this one, and I hope you enjoy it and have a bit of fun. Uh, this podcast episode is brought to you by our good friends at West Coast Kitchen Canada, where they make amazing food, freeze-dried for your adventures. It'll power you through those long adventures in the mountains, and you can use the discount code EATWILD for a deal on their product there. And coming into the adventure season, I recommend getting getting those orders in now because um, before you know it, uh, yeah, you'll be heading out on a trip and... Uh, uh, also, if you're uh, looking for ultralight gear, particularly ultralight tents or packs, our friends at Seek Outside um, have a promo code EATWILD to get a, a discount on their products. Um, I love their single wall teepee tent systems with wood stoves. It's a game changer for uh, hunting in the late season. And they've got ultralight uh, tents that are um, freestanding and also uh, pegging tents that um, are great for um, the early season and super light. So check those out at our friends at Seek Outside. All right, let's get into this one. Just did a 150 person event, all fire cooking. And um, uh, hour number six, when I like couldn't see anymore because my yeah. eyes were so watery. It was a, it's full pits, right? Not just a, you know, so that's, you know, 36 chickens at a time or whatever. And yeah, I was like, I need some better head. goggles. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's what I came away with. <laughs> I was like, that's what I, I was like, before the people arrive, I will be fully goggled and masked when it's a, when it's a five, six hour pit cook. <laughs> Just to help out. Yeah. Cause you everybody see. would see me and they'd be like, Oh my goodness, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm actually having a great time. <laughs> actually, this is wonderful, but <laughs> <laughs> this is actually my favorite thing to do, but I'm just crying yeah. for the next two days. Well, and then your pores right. are all like plugged up with like fire cooking smells. You hit know? the shower and it's, it's very... <laughs> oh, have you, ever, have you ever taken a shower after a long cook and you wash your head and the smoke <laughs> grease runs into your eyes and it's just like the most burning sensation of like smoke tar? <laughs> Uh, and and you're you're like why is the water coming off of me actually black right now? Yeah, <laughs> right. So dirty. Yeah, war stories. Well, and and like I you know like we we're gonna do a 
pile of cooking at the wedding, but you're also like part of my best man team. So you're going to have to like, you know, like drop the apron and like, you know, and hang out for pictures and look like well, elegant. Yes- yesterday I decided I should probably think of um, an outfit to wear. So I canvassed all my farmers and was like, does anyone have a dress? <laughs> you wait a minute, wait a minute. I need a dress guys. Yeah, I, that's it. I was like, yeah, I know you're farmers, but does anyone have a dress? <laughs> cool. Anyway, I got one, but it doesn't work. So we'll on to the plan. See. Yes. Ooh, <laughs> I'll wear a ranger outfit. Can I wear a ranger yeah, you outfit? you can. You can wear a ranger <laughs> outfit. Right on. Well, Andy, thanks so much for joining us on the Eat Well podcast. It's, uh, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. And I'll, this, this connection was a funny one because... Uh, uh, Mickey and I have, uh, as we were telling you in, in the, in the, in the hangout here, we were, uh, uh, we're getting married in a couple days and we've been like, part of our goal was to secure all the food, uh, like uh, throughout the year ahead of our ways. So I pr- proposed to Mickey, uh, September 20th on top of a mountain in, um, uh, in, in one of my f- favorite mule deer hunting spots. And, um, and, uh, it was actually cool. We got witnessed by a herd of wild sheep when we we're on top of the mountain. I, I knelt down to propose to her at the top of this mountain when we got, you know, skies cleared and, uh, yeah, the sun came out and it was a perfect spot, a perfect time. And I knelt down to, to, uh, ask her to marry me. And, uh, she walked up to me and she just looked right past me and started hitting me on the <laughs> shoulder. And I look and I finally turned around, I looked behind me and there's a herd of wild sheep, like 40 meters behind us, just checking us out. How cool. All the, yeah, it was very cool. So that Any was legal rams or no, no legal rams? Well, actually, no. It was, it was a good-looking herd. There was uh, several rams in the herd. They, you know, these are, I guess, we call these. I mean, they're uh, they're, they're big horns. Uh, there's a very in BC we have sort of scattered bighorn populations, and yeah, um, and uh, so these ones were like sort of the uh, kind of closer to um, the Fraser Canyon uh, herd there. So there's uh, so yeah, it's like a so a three-quarter curl as as a mature ram there typically. Um, so yeah, do they do three-quarter curl and age range, or do they just do three-quarter curl? Uh, you know what? I'm not I'm not super up to speed on the regulations for the bighorns. I've never actually chased them around. Um, for a while there, we had a we had two different classifications: a mature ram and a oh god goodness, there was another there was another classification for it um, for a while. Now I know that we've gone to LEH, and I believe there's still a three-quarter season for LEH, but. Gosh, I shouldn't speak to that because I'm supposed to be a hunter educator and should know this stuff like the back of my hand. And I, but you know, I always say to people like, you don't have to know all the regs. You just have to know the regulations for what you're hunting for. And there's so much to yeah. know, but just make sure you know how to do the research ahead of the hunt. So yeah, well, not everybody's going to go chase sheep too. So exactly. Including guys like me that have been doing their whole lives and still haven't gone after that one, but it's, it's on the list for sure. Um, yeah. anyway, story going, story going is, uh, so we end up, we end up going harvesting our, spending our, our, our harvest season and we're chasing deer for the first, uh, six months of, uh, well, six months, the first uh, few months there of our hunting season. And, um, we end up putting, I think six hind deer legs in our freezer for the wedding and it took a picture of saving the, legs. deer legs. Yeah. Saving hind deer legs. I, I, we stuck a picture. Actually, Jody donated the deer leg too. I did. It? I was at the end of a long butchering three days and I was like, Oh, one more deer. Like, wait a minute. I have the perfect purpose for this. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. Totally. So we ended up, anyway, we ended up, uh, post a picture up and, um, of, of all the deer legs kind of wrapped up, ready to go in the freezer. And, and a couple of people right away, they're like, Oh, you got to check out the flip flop guy. Cause I, yeah. I posted a picture, but what should I do with these legs? And, and, uh, yeah, it was an instant that people turned me on to what you're up to. And, yeah. uh, and so we saw that we're like, Hey man, that is, that is the way to cook for a party. So it is exciting. Yeah. So, Hey, so Andy, maybe introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about the flip flopping and kind of yeah. take it from there. I'll do my best. Uh, my name is Andy Mokel. Uh, I live in Bozeman, Montana in the late 19th. So I come from a fifth generation California family. I mean, it could be longer than that, but we'll just call it a fifth generation California family. Um, in the 1950s, my grandfather saw these guys cooking some lamb legs on a spit over a fire in West Marin, where we're from. And him and my grandmother looked at it and watched this and was like, oh, my God, we got to do this with deer legs. Like, we have to do this with venison. 
So in typical fashion of them, they started doing it. And instead of using a spit, they were just throwing the meat around on top of the grill, flip, flop, flip, flop, flip, flop, slicing and carving and saucing and salting and peppering the whole way down. They concocted a family recipe, a marinade, uh, which is what I sell on my website. And that's like my token piece. It was passed down from my grandfather to my father to me. And that is pretty much how I make my living, uh, cooking deer legs and going around and sharing our third generation family tradition with hunters all across America and in and, and Canada and then a few other countries as well. And what's been really wild about it is that out of all of hunting and the hunting community, no one had ever thought to do this before. Lo and behold, we'd been doing it. We've been doing it for over 60 years in California, just in our tight knit community and close family friends and circle. And, uh, I took it to market in 2016 and I've just been running with it as hard as I can and as fast as I can since. So this has become a full-time job that you've created out of flip-flop and deer legs. Yes. Out of your family legacy. That's really cool. That's really yeah. Cool. Right. Like it's, it's wild. It's totally wild. Yeah. And it, and it's interesting because I, I can see, you know, I did a little, you know, follow, I did a little research on, on you ahead of this. So we had something to talk about and, and it's great. I mean, you just see all the connections you've made with other interesting people in the hunting community and, and, uh, yeah, this sure looks like a lot of fun what you're doing, cruising around, cooking for people. and Well, like it's, it's wild because it's not only in the hunting community, it's in the business community, it's in the political community, it's, it's you know, in the gun industry, you name it. I have been able to cook for some of the most elite people in a broad spectrum of industries all across the board. And the wildest thing for me is that it's all over deer legs. You know what I mean? Like when you think of wild game, like sure a deer steak is like, and maybe someone's going to be upset with me for saying this, but like when I get leg steaks, that's not my first go-to thing that I'm like, yeah, I'm going to eat some leg steaks. That sounds delicious. No way. Not into it. If I get leg steaks, I usually cube them up and then make a stew, right? Me too. Yeah, because it's a little... But, so when you think of wild game, and especially non-hunters and new hunters, when they think of wild game, they think of gamey... I mean, it's, it's good and it's healthy and it's organic and it's clean and it's wild game. But, you know, it, it's, it's, still, it's still like it's missing something, right? It's a lot of people don't like it. So I've, when you cook a flip flop for whatever reason, and I don't know if it's the sauce, if it's the salt or the pepper or the high heat, or if it's just the mastery of my grandfather and grandmother magically still living on in every slice, the game flavor is eliminated. There is no game flavor. I have at this last event when I was at um, Six Hours Grand Opening for their headquarters that they just finished building. Vegan, I, not a vegan. She was a vegetarian. Vegetarian comes up and is like, "Okay, I have to try it. I have to. Like, there's no way around this. I have to try this." Just watching it and hearing everybody talk about how amazing it is and how there's no wild game flavor. Like I have to try this. So I cut her off a slice and she ate it right there on the spot and she just loved it. She's like, there's no game flavor. I've never had meat like this in my life. This is one of the most amazing things I've ever experienced, you know, and I've been cooking legs for over a decade, 12, 13 years now. Um, and I've broken vegans and vegetarians of, you know, two decades plus because they see it and, and something happens that's magic. Uh, that's literally the only way to like really explain the experience is that something magic happens to everybody that's involved where it just becomes 
primal carnage. You know what I mean? And it's it's delicious and I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I'll, no, that was, I'll add that no, that all circles right back to where you started there where you're talking about cooking for you know, industry and elite folks or yeah. political folks or people that can afford to, you know, buy the best meals in the world. And, and yet they're way more fascinated by some guy flip and flopping a piece of meat on the barbecue and people gather yeah. around and they can't wait for the next bite. It's, it's, it's something that, you know, I think that's, we talk a lot about this in, in, you know, part of what we're doing at Eat Wild and what the whole hunting industry trying to do is tell better stories about, you know, what we are as a hunting community and how do we reach mm-hmm. people that are non-hunters and create bridges and and connection right and like food is you know wild food is you know for us it's the way it's the conversation we're always having within our community and this way we're building bridges and building community and building a bigger hunting community is through food and wild food and i I love that because what you're talking about there is just that moment where people just like all of a sudden they become human and they're like we've been cooking meat over a fire for as long as humans have walked the earth and it just feels right and it connects in something inside you and yeah, man. I, that's really fire really cool. connects people. Yeah, fire connects people in a way that is absolutely unimaginable. And I, I think, for a lot of it, that's a big part of missed connection that we no longer have because we're caged, right? And I, and I deal with this on a daily basis. Like, I am caged. I am in a prison of my cell phone. There's no bars around me. There's no walls around me. There's nothing keeping me in that cage, but myself, you know? And when I get to, when I get to cook or put my phone down and like actually be uncaged and get back into it and reimmerse myself with people, whether I'm cooking or hunting or whatever it is I'm doing, like, and, and fire bringing fire being such a catalyst of, bringing everybody together and instead of staring at our phones, we're staring at the flames or we're eating good food. And then we're starting to conversate with each other instead of through text message vocally and, and visually. And yeah. Fire cooking is something you have to be super present for. There's no just like, yes. you know, sit, set it and leave it. It's a dynamic relationship the entire time. Yes. And I think, and everybody feels that. I mean, there's no better conversation starter or icebreaker than getting a bunch of people around a fire because you can just, everybody can interact with the fire as well as the food. And then eventually you're great friends by the end of it. And do you consider yourself uh, a chef first, uh, a fire, a fire chef, an educator, a hunter? What is it? How how do you, how do you see yourself? It's funny because everywhere I go, everybody introduces me as a, as a wild game chef. I've cooked wild game my whole life. I, in 2008, I started specifically only killing and eating the animals that I get like, and, and unless it's like breakfast sausage, pork breakfast sausage, I minimally buy meat from a grocery store. I don't buy steaks. So I can cook wild game to any capacity, whether it's ground steaks, whatever. But like, I don't, I, it's really hard for me to consider myself a chef, even though everybody I know is like, yeah, dude, you're a wild game chef. Like, but I'm not like, I just love cooking deer legs. I love the flip flop. I love what it does. Like, and I've done it enough that I'm professional at it and I'm really good at it. So I, I don't can really relate to that. Like, you know what I mean? Like I love food. I love the experience. I like what you were saying. I love the camaraderie, everything that comes around the fire and everybody being together and having a good time, the smiles, the laughter, the vulnerability that comes out, like all of the layers that go into that. But I mean, I, w- I was a hunter's education instructor in California for about a decade. And that was really great. I really loved that. Um, I definitely still vouch and try to do hunter's education. Uh, I haven't signed up for teaching it in Montana yet just because my cooking schedule is absolute chaos. Uh, However, I definitely focus time on finding new hunters, seeking out new hunters, and then figuring out how I can either get them out in the field and help them get their first animal on the ground or 
you know, what can I do to help coach them through the experience of what they're doing and trying to achieve in becoming a hunter. But yeah, so I don't know. I mean, what am I first? I'm a, I, w- I would say a lot of people say hunter conservationist. First, I am a hunter and a conservationist. And I'll say that knowing that, you know, I've been very fortunate and I've gotten to help well over a hundred and 60 sheep get captured, tested, transplanted, and repopulate different parts of the United States with sheep herds and trying to bring the sheep herds back. Um, you know, I've, I've gotten to play some really, really awesome roles inside the world of conservation through time, effort, and energy and sacrifice. Uh, instead of being like, oh, I donated to this 501c3, so I'm a conservationist now. Like, <laughs> I don't know. To me, that doesn't make sense. But, you know, so I'm, I'm definitely a hunter conservationist. Um, and I would definitely say my main focus would be sheep and trying to preserve the pinnacle of hunting, which is sheep hunting um, and ensuring that generations to come can have the passion for hunting and grow into becoming a sheep hunter like I have like I am not I have done, but I am on my journey of doing. How many years are you into your sheep hunting journey? Oh God. So I first dreamed of, of like getting into sheep hunting. It's not even that long. So my first dream of a sheep hunt was 2016. And I never thought that I would have the opportunity to get involved in sheep hunting. And since that, I've gotten to go on my first Ibex hunt, which was me hunting the Ibex. Um, I've been on 10 or 11 sheep hunts, all successful hunts. We've never had an unsuccessful hunt. Um, One being up in BC at Toshody River, which is one of the That's most my, amazing one of my family connections. Yeah. I'm very, I'm very, I, I heard when I, when he said Peck, I was like, no way. I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I was like, is this the same Peck family that, cause I interviewed um, Monty, Larry and their brother before I left. Ricky. And the, the three of us sat down and talked about the history of Toshodi and everything like that. So it was very. Such a special place. That. We could, it we is, could talk, we could talk camps and various things, but we won't go there because we don't want anybody yeah. else to know about what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we don't need well, to go we'll down. down the record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I was lucky enough to grow up there, which is, you know, an amazing thing. And then, um, in my twenties, I spent five years working there again after it was out of my family. So uh-huh. I have, you know, I just have a lot of special memories and places at Tashiki. Yeah. It is unreal. And he's got Go a ahead. great podcast. Sorry, yeah. And he's got a great podcast that, that well, you mentioned uh, interviewing the Warrens. I, um, yeah, it was awesome. I, I was, I really enjoyed that conversation. It was really insightful and, and really told oh, your story cool. well. It was cool, man. I was digging yeah. through your stuff, and that was one that jumped out at me. And uh, I'm sure glad I spent, yeah. And it was, uh, yeah, really awesome. I, I enjoyed it. For yeah. Sure. But so, yeah, I've, I've had the opportunity to go up there on a sheep hunt um, and then all over. California for desert bighorn. So, and then on top of that, I've gotten to take part in three or four different transplants and captures and relocations, uh, preserving the species and putting sheep back into the mount, like on the mountain. So we we usually ask this question towards the end of the podcast, but we're, so we're, we're fortunate to live in BC and, and we're able to kind of hunt anywhere or anything at any time. Well, not any time, but I mean. Yeah, was it like for you guys to get a sheep tag? Yeah, and there's, and there's a, I don't know, the season's two months long. And <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. I mean, you, we're very, very fortunate. So question for you is, if, if you were a BC resident, what would be your dream hunt to go and experience in British Columbia? And oh, what would I mean, it look like? It's not just the species. I mean, we're talking about like, maybe the, the type of access that you'd want to try and utilize and type of experience you'd be looking for to complete the adventure. I, I honestly, I would, 
I would hit the mountain and at the end of July, I'd be on horseback and I'd stay out there until October 15th. Sounds and like I'd a be guiding season. Coast. What's that? Sounds like a guiding season. <laughs> yeah. And I, I literally would just hunt as hard as I possibly could until I found the most mature ram that I possibly could. Like, you know, I'd, I'd want to get 40 plus if I could find it. And, you know, I, I, I would be willing to spend as many months out there as humanly possible to find the most mature, beautiful representation of the species that exists. Right. Oh, yeah, well, the season's open till October 15th. So that gives you, yeah. you know, <laughs> stretch it out for October, September, yeah, two, three months, get started early yeah. July. So yeah, it's been really interesting because um, growing up in the outfitting industry and having a sheep season my whole life and as a cook, um, mm-hmm. I, I've been so spoiled with having an entire sheep season of sheep meat my whole life until recently. And it's, I was actually thinking about this a couple of days ago. I was like, has it been an entire year since I've eaten a piece of sheep meat? Am I going to be okay? And, and then just like reflecting on the fact that I've been so privileged to have, you know, to walk into the meat tent and have, you know, three or four hanging sheep to choose how I'm going to, you know, what I'm going to butcher that night for dinner and yeah. how amazing that is. So you've forgotten about when I invited you over for dinner in the fall and I'm like, what do you want for dinner? <laughs> and you're like, oh, sheep, you got a sheep. Yeah, we'll have sheep. And I was like, okay. Uh, and, and you're like, oh, and make sure you take something out that's good. Like maybe like the loin or something. <laughs> I was like, but you're like the one person that's actually had sheep, you know? And like, I'm like, yeah, and I know how to cook it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So I would love to talk. I'd love to pick your brain, Andy, about flip flop because, um, as Dylan mentioned earlier, Dylan are you the cook? Are you married. The cook? Yes. Right. Yes. yes. So Dylan and Mickey are getting married on the weekend and I have not done a flip flop. So when Dylan invited me to be on this podcast with you, I was like, great, I am going to get all of the goods on how to how to rock a flip flop for 200 people. So let's hear it. <laughs> so you're going to need more cooks. Like how we long is your, have a team? How long is your cooking window? Well, we're starting uh, from five to eight o'clock is for food. Yeah. Yeah. We, we're oh, doing okay. like, um, we're, we're doing a, uh, uh, like cook, uh, almost like food station, tapas station. So there's going to be like a salmon station. There's going to be a prawn station. There's going to be Lincod station. There's going to be a flip flop station. Morales. So, so it's just like, and we don't want, we're not sitting down. We're just, people are just like grazing by and they just graze yeah. and they graze and they graze. So, um, yeah. yeah, there's not, so it's like, you can eat as much as you want for however long you want, but we're not trying to serve it all at the same time. Dylan even let so, me put a salad station in. It was hard. He did, He almost didn't let me. And I was like, Dylan, well, you we, grew the greens. So I figured that was close enough. To, we've got to do this. <laughs> I would, I would try to have three people cooking legs at once. That's what I and have. I actually called them the perfect. drunkles in the, I said, we need three, three drunkles to drink beer and flip flop. Yeah. Um, the biggest thing is like, depending on whatever kind of grill you're cooking on, traditionally, most of the time I'm cooking on a Weber kettle. Okay. That's what we, we have. I'll, two of those. I'll fill it up. With, how big? Two 26 inch kettles. The, the big ones. Oh, that's, that's perfect. Yeah. Great. So I'll fill it up with charcoal. And when I put the grate down on it, like I have to twist the grate to get the charcoal to kind of settle. That's how much charcoal okay. I'll put in there. And this is great. I'm actually just, you might hear paper wrestling because I'm actually taking notes right now. Thank you. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> this is important. These are important pieces of information. And to get the charcoal going, I'll do like, I'll do whatever charcoal I have and then I'll top it off with match light charcoal, which you'll never taste the lighter fluid ever. Well, we'll probably use um, one of those charcoal lighters or what do you call it? Well, that'll get us started, yeah. But I always like to have charcoal also happening at the same time so I can top Mm. out throughout the process without having to wait for it. 
Oh, you'll do you'll run like a chimney on the like side. Like a feeder fire, a chimney on the side. Yeah, I always like to have a feeder yeah. fire happening so yeah. that there's never any lag time between when I want heat and when I so need it. So on a on a full kettle, you can cook two legs no problem. And if you have okay. three people cooking legs, you can get through six legs in an hour and a half on one bed of coals. Wow. Wow. See, look at how important this conversation is going to be for our success here. So wow. once, once the whole bed is, is going and the flames are coming out of the grate still, like that's right about the time you want to start. Like a lot of people will like, oh, I can't do it then. It's too hot. Like you want to start at the peak of the heat. Because you got a plan that you're cooking for the next hour. And that heat and that sear is very important. So you don't actually top up with charcoal throughout the cook? Never. Okay. So I don't even need that chimney unless I'm inexperienced. I mean, you can. You can. if you. It would be, be nice to have in case you get worried or concerned. You'll always have a backup plan. But at the same time, like, I cook – I've, I've – I mean, this year I've cooked 60 legs already. So for yeah, me, no, I it's, trust you. I'm taking notes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So once like I'll take the legs out, I'll set them down. Were they aged at all? Like, do they have the black crust on them? Uh, probably. Yeah. Probably. I mean, they would have been hanging in camp for a bit. So they've probably aged a bit, but maybe I can't remember to be honest. Um, I might've, no, no, we skinned them. Yeah, hard to say. Can't remember. There's three three different deer there. So, so if they're aged, it makes the process a whole lot easier because then you just have that dry eighth of an inch and you just slice that off super easy. Well, and this is what I'll do while the charcoal's building. I'll go through it and I'll clean the entire leg of all the silver skin that's exposed. Right now, like. It gets confusing when you're doing it because if you look like how many stakes can actually come out of a leg, a ton. So there's silver skin on every layer. But yeah. once you start, once you start cooking that top layer, it kind of all meshes together and it's, it's very easy. Um, but yeah, I'll trim all the silver skin off and then I'll hit it with the rosemary mop. Right. So I'll get, do you guys have access to a rosemary bush? Oh yeah. Yeah. Good, good. Yeah. So <laughs> grab sure, that sure. grab that rosemary bush and get like I don't know 12 inch sprigs of rosemary, like a bundle yeah. of them. I love cooking with a rosemary mop. It's the best. It's literally the best thing ever. The flavor that it feels it like adds, a magic wand as well, you know. It is it is a magic wand. There's no feeling. I mean, that's a fact statement. Um so the, yeah, then I'll sauce the leg up, salt and pepper it. And when the fire's at its peak, throw the leg down over it, mop the top side, salt and pepper it. Maybe 30 seconds. And I'll just kind of lift the leg and look at the underside to see how it's searing. And if it's good, I'll flip it. If it needs another 15 seconds, I'll give it another 15 seconds. And then I'll flip it over and I'll just, and a 14 inch brisket slicer, I can't stress that enough. If you have access to Wustoff or are willing to commit to getting Wustoff, they make the best deal that I have ever used. And I have no affiliation with them whatsoever. Like I use a Wustoff for a decade. And then I gave my original Wustoff to a buddy as a gift. And I switched to another, right? It is. I switched to another brand and I destroyed that knife in six months. Right. I so feel like we're not the only one taking notes right now. I bet there's people scrounging for pens and paper all over the place right now. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, yeah, so off like I put my knives through hell and they are durable. They last, they hold an edge through at least three legs without having to resharpen it. Um, they're amazing, amazing knives. 
So, so you yeah. said that a 30 second to 45 second sear is that that's as much as you need. Yes. It's just that quick kiss on the coals. Okay. Yeah. So slice the steaks off. Right. And I'll look, I'll look like what's, what's the topography of the leg look like? What's the shape? I can get a good cut here. And when I cut, so I'll cut in at an angle, flatten out at about, you know, a quarter or an eighth of an inch. And I'll just slice that out. And depending on how hungry the people are or how many people there are, I'll just tip the blade up and pop right out. And the, and then you just have a perfect steak about that big, eighth to a quarter inch thick, rare on one side, burning, screaming hot on the top side. And just, Beautiful. you can put it on sliced French bread with butter or just give it straight to people off the tip of the knife and they can eat it just as it comes off. <laughs> Delicious. Um, your, your biggest thing is like 100% coarse salt or coarse pepper. Uh-huh. Do you guys have like salt Costco up there? So important. Yeah. You bet. Yeah. Go to Costco. You can get the, the Costco coarse pepper thing, like a big, a big whatever, it, yeah. and then get their pink Himalayan sea salt. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then whatever shakers you're going to use to shake it on there. But that would be, my best recommendation as far as your salt and your pepper. So I have a question so about that. Um, yeah. You don't do a, like a preliminary rub or anything like that. You just salt and pepper right before you throw it on. Yeah. All right. I don't pre-marinate it. I'll put the marinade on five minutes before the leg goes on the grill. Okay. And then I'll also tell you this, the further into the leg you get, the deeper that you're cutting, the better the meat becomes. Mm -hmm. I couldn't tell closer you why. To the bone. I mean, it is closer to the bone, but like, it's it only gets better, and the top layer is amazing, but like, it gets way better than the top layer. Okay, so so one of the things we talked about when we when we were originally looking at these legs before someone turned us on to to, to the flip flop method. Um, we were talking about like, should we slow roast the whole thing or should we like, how do you cook a whole leg? And, and the thing that we were talking about is like, well, every muscle group has different, uh, in a hind leg has, has different properties in terms of cookability for lack of a better word, or, um, some are tougher, some are more sinews, some of, you know, so as you're working through it, like, do you find there is a, some, some parts of it that are, that are more tender or more tough or have more chewy sinew? no. no. And no, you're just slicing through muscle groups. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It yeah. Like I don't, it's, it's literally, it's magic. Like you'll find out when you do it. Like, so you're actually a wizard. When I asked you before, if you think you're a chef or what you are, you're actually just a wizard. <laughs> <laughs> My grandfather is a wizard. I'm just very fortunate that I was born into it. <laughs> but yeah, so once you clean off the whole leg, re-sauce with your mop, salt and pepper it. And now you got to remember is that you're thinking about your timing, right? So while you're cutting all those pieces off, you're trying to cut the pieces off as quickly as possible and feed as many people as quickly as possible while still saucing and then salt and peppering and then flipping over without burning the underside because nice. the heat is so hot. Oh yeah, we right? have to have like a rest. We have to have a little stand for it to like set it aside, just in, like I see a little break, so it doesn't you don't know, overdo it on one of the sides, right? I mean, you could. He's looking. He's looking like you. Like you're that an amateur. <laughs> he's like you're an amateur if that you have to do happens. that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, the only way to learn is by doing it, right? And luckily for everybody that does it, you get thirty chances per leg to make it right. Amazing. So you just keep so flipping you and thirty pop. flips. You figure you figure uh, thirty flips. It depends on the leg. Yeah. Well, the the white tail leg that so the the white tails that we we killed were maybe two year old you know white tails from the southern part of BC, and then the one that the leg that 
Jody gave us it was like the size of three legs because it was a <laughs> it was a Peace River whitetail. Northern, it was a northern mature buck. He <laughs> actually kills animals, and you guys are killing Bambi. Got it. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Well, I would. Yeah, I definitely. have a family legacy to uphold here. <laughs> yeah. Peck. That's a lot. That's a strong last name. <laughs> yeah, well, didn't have any spots left on it. The one. <laughs> <laughs> so, how big are your legs? Do you think? Like, are you looking uh, at ten pound legs, fifteen pound legs, or twenty pound legs? I think closer to twenty, um, like fifteen to twenty pound. Like we we weighed them up. There was a. Uh, oh, so I I was so one of the white tails was a two year old. One was probably a three year old. Uh, Jody's just like not only are those Peace River bucks like. There's probably a four-year-old, but it's they're still they're just bigger, bigger animals. They're yeah. genetically bigger, yeah. so it's substantially larger. And eating a lot of alfalfa. So that one was like like I don't know, looked like thirty pounds to me, but maybe I don't not know quite, if it's quite thirty 25. pounds, but it's a large. It's a big. It's as big as a white-tailed buck hindquarter would be, like grain, you know, fed on the fields kind of thing. Um, and then we got a black tail too that I that. Um, the late season black tail that we threw. And actually, we cooked one of the legs. We our test run on the on the on the flip flopping was with a black tail leg, and which is going back to your point about just like where does the gaminess go? This is I I have um I've never really hunted black tail deer here on the coast because it's uh they they typically carry a lot more gaminess in, in their flavor, and I and I'm an avid white tail hunter, and typically I'll get have success on white tail. And so I don't really have a need to kill black-tailed deer, but I've kind of developed a bit of a passion for hunting them because they live in these cool places, like on islands. Yeah, they live in pretty cool. gnarly places. Yeah, so we've, we've been having fun hunting the last couple of years. So I, so anyways, I killed a blacktail um, on this new spot that I've been hunting, and and uh, and it was it's a, it was a nice little blacktail. And we peeled one of the legs off, and I did it at my birthday party uh, on the on the Weber kettle there, and. My brother and his wife, who um, are real foodies, and they, but they've never really like loved game meat because of that hint of gaminess, and and um, and so when I served the the blacktail flip flop, like my brother was just out of his mind at how good it was, and like he was just like that's the best way. To, like I've never had game meat like that, and it was so good, and like it, you know, where does it go? It. Where exactly. does it go? And, where does it and, go? And, I don't know, and it's a. It was like a November blacktail deer in the middle of the rut. Like it should have been a stinky old buck, and yeah, yeah. and and it was a bit stinky. I mean, it was blacktaily. Like it, it smelled like a blacktail, and then I was, I was like, oh, that's a new blacktaily, and uh, and man, it was like tender, and it was like game gaminess was gone. So magic so wizardry. I've cooked Rocky Mountain sheep. I've cooked doll sheep. I've cooked desert sheep. I've cooked Rocky Mountain goat. I've cooked blacktail, whitetail. I mean, ruddy mule deer, ruddy white tail, ruddy black tail. Wow. Antelope. Um, I'm sure there's like legitimate just barnyard goat, uh, barnyard sheep. Like, and I, I can sit here and honestly tell you out of all of the animals that I've cooked, I never once have run into gnarly gamey flavor between any species. Wow. Huh. That's awesome. Well, anyways, this is this is going to be a really fun because I, I just like the social part of it, and I have a feeling the only problem we're going to have is they're going to have like, of the hundred and fifty people or hundred and seventy five people at the wedding, there's going to be a hundred and forty of them like surrounding the the kettles like yeah. as we're as we're doing this right because it's yeah spread them out um, a little okay. bit yeah well that's right and then well I think some people will you know gravitate over to the prawn station. You know, like that's going to be a bit of a hit, I think, too. So. They will, but the once people hear what's going on and see the crowd, like everybody's going to want to come watch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about your sauce, your okay. marinade. That might yeah. be off limits. we got to be careful here. Well, <laughs> yeah, I'd love to talk about it. So we're actually going to be using your marinade. Do you call it a marinade or a sauce? Uh, I mean, I don't know. Sauce, marinade, to me, is the same shit. <laughs> okay. So your special sauce. We're using yours because we want the we want the real experience. Um, yeah. So uh, how to tell us a little bit about it. So, like I said, the recipe was crafted by my grandparents. Uh, 
what you'll do is when you get a bottle, every single bottle is worth two bottles. So you'll get your bottle of sauce. Usually what I do is I turn the bottles upside down and like, cause if you look at them, do I have a bottle here? No, I don't. I just have my new sauce. Um, so turn the bottle upside down to try to get all that thick contents to float up, shake it, open up the bottle, dump it into the bowl, leave that open bottle sitting there. Take the second bottle, shake it, dump it in the bowl. Then I'll get red wine, uh, either a cab or a Zin. It depends on my mood and how I'm feeling. Like doesn't matter really what brand I use, but like I definitely just try to figure out what I'm going to do, whether it's a cab or a Zin. Um, and I take the bottle of wine, pour it in the bottle, the empty bottles of sauce, shake them up and then dump both of those in. And then there's like three or four ounces of wine left in the bottom of the bottle. So I'll dump that into, and that's enough to cook one leg. Okay. So two bottles, two bottles of sauce per leg, two bottles of sauce and a bottle of wine per leg. All right. There's going to be lots of wine around, so that's, how, that's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Might need yeah. a couple bottles of wine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wait, if you get seven legs, you need seven bottles of wine. <clears throat> or right. six legs or whatever it is. Okay. That's great. I feel prepared. You feeling prepared? Yeah. I'm, I'm happy we had this conversation. I'm ready to go now. You're ready to go? Yeah. Ready to cook some legs. And now you guys are getting married tomorrow. Yeah, not us though. But Mickey, you haven't met Mickey. <laughs> no, yeah, no, I know, I know. You, you, <laughs> yeah. you and your fiance. Oh, yeah, no, I, I'm aware. This is my best man, and then yeah, Mickey is in the other room. Yeah. Um, yeah, best person, best person. We're trying to use gender inclusive language for our wedding, so it's best people. And um, well, it works well for me because you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So this weekend, so yeah, things are like literally ramping up, like. Yeah, we're heading over. We're getting married on a, a friend's farm on Vancouver Island. Um, and uh, yeah, people can camp there. It's going to be outside wedding. The weather looks great. Like I said, we've got like five cooking stations. We've got, yeah, a bunch of fun games to play. And we got uh, some friends of ours. We got a we had a bunch of musicians in our community. So um, we've got some amazing musicians that are coming together to kind of a, like a Van East fan super group of <laughs> musicians. So we'll be... Yeah. music all night and food all night and uh yeah oh we're, yeah we yeah. also have some bear cabbage rolls for the midnight oh yeah midnight um the midnight munch we're calling it and yeah. we also have some um morel hand pies and some tortiere uh mixed game we'll yeah. just call it hand pies so as an homage to our heritage mickey is romanian and uh so she's made like 500 uh yeah, black bear, uh, yeah, cabbage, cabbage rolls um, in traditional style, and uh, and then my my part of my family is uh, both Métis and French Canadian, and so there's tortière is a uh, is one of our family meals. That's a basically a meat pie with with pastry, and so we have a you know, bunch of wild game meat pies, and that's like the that's like the after ten o'clock like munch. So midnight munch, midnight munch, meat pies yeah. and. And yeah, so it's going to be good. It's going to be, so if you're available, man, like 23rd, you got any, anything else? We could use another flip-flopper actually. Yeah, you... <laughs> yeah I bet. <laughs> yeah, a full, full wild wedding. It's actually, it's really a privilege to cook a full wild wedding. A full wild event of a couple hundred people is not, it's not an easy yeah. thing to achieve. So it's, it's cool. No. So, and speaking to that, so my entire life growing up, was backyard barbecues every summer. And it was our abalone, our salmon, our halibut, our elk, our deer, our flip-flops, everything that we cooked and prepared for the barbecues we would have was everything that we caught, killed, got from the sea, whatever it was, dove for. So I, it's just, that's so, there's so much familiarity there for me. Yeah, what a privilege, hey? That's yeah, like so fortunate to grow up like, and and the more that, I very, I mean, I grew up very much in the same way, and and uh, 
the more I get to do this stuff and the more, you know, you realize just how disconnected folks are from this incredible reality? way of life. Yeah. Well, reality yeah. with the way you call it way of life. But I mean, you take three steps back and it's just like, yeah, like you said, people are in their little boxes, right? And whether it's their phone or their right. condo or they're just not getting a chance to experience this, this, this awesomeness that we have. And, and, uh, it really is what makes life worth living, right? It's really <laughs> what it, it has. It checks all the boxes. It's the community. It's the connection to land. It's the connection to place. Connection well, to and you know, I mean, you lived it. You know, you, you stayed out and you've sat through entire seasons and many been, <laughs> more than that, not, but that's what, but that's what I'm saying. So like, you know, you've, you've been so in it your entire life that like you understand it on a deeper level than anybody can understand as far as what it does for our self mentally. Yeah physically, emotionally, spiritually, the whole gamut. Like it It's only been that. in the last number of years that I even realized it wasn't just completely normal for everybody to grow up really connected to land and food mm-hmm. and harvesting your food. Just because it was so such an integral, normal part of, you know, every part of it was it was integrated into every part of my life. In an outfitting yeah. family, like your food and hunting is your livelihood. It's how you spend your time. It's how you, you know, that's why you've got so many horses. That's why it's the reason for everything. And let me tell you, Toshody's got horses. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've seen it. I've seen them come in. Yeah, oh. that's really fun. That's cool. a very that fun is time of year. That, yeah. Cool. Andy, do you have any exciting plans for this year? You, what, what's on your hunting agenda? Uh, nothing this year. I mean, I've got plenty. I've got like six, seven, eight, I don't know, nine tags or something like that, but it's all mule deer and elk, bear, mountain lion, wolf, stuff like that. Um, I'm really excited for next summer. I'm going to go up to NWT and I'm going to go on my first all sheep hunt. With who? Uh, I'll be going with Glenda and Canole. Uh, I worked with Glenda for years and years. I'm so excited. She's a very good friend of mine. I'll come for that hunt if you let me know when it is. I've absolutely. I'll let you know when it is. That would be wonderful. She. I'm actually supposed to be up there right now. I was supposed to fly in when I left Sig Sauer. I was supposed to fly from there to wherever and then jump over, and I couldn't find my vaccine card, so I couldn't get into the country because to try and get a reprint of my card because I got one shot in Montana and one shot in California was a fucking nightmare. So anyways, I'm supposed to be there right now for someone who's on their sheep hunt. They were going to come back to camp. And when they got back to camp, we were going to cook the leg of the sheep that they hopefully have killed or are about to kill. Um, I'm sorry for your luck. That would have been a lovely trip. It's a, beautiful beautiful part of the world yeah i'm so excited but yeah so i'll be going there next summer glenda's amazing they've been cooking flip-flops in camps for their in their camp for clients for like the last year and a half or two years like totally epic yeah totally that's exciting Cool. Okay. Well, one more question for you. We're going to let you let you wrap up and get back to your day and we got some serious wedding planning to do in the next couple hours but Tell us about your most memorable backcountry meal, like meal on a hunt in the middle of nowhere or somewhere. What stands out for you? That's easy. Um, I mean, I will say that Monty makes a mean bannock. <laughs> yes. My, I have that my, family recipe, just saying. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a mean bannock. That, but, but uh, I would have to go with, we were on a, 15 day, 17 day. I don't remember how many days in the white mountains of California elevation, 12,000, 12 and a half thousand. Um, we'd killed three sheep in whatever the time span was. And client got the last ram and we were coming out with it. And we stopped at base camp to wrap everything up and make it down the mountain. And we took the tenderloins and got our jet jet boil stove or MSR stove, whichever one it was, and put a flat rock on it 
and use that as our frying pan. Turn the turn the gas on, heated the rock up, and cooked the loins in the fat that we had cut off of the animal. And it was, you know, like minimal salt and pepper and just ate straight off the rock and the fire at on the mountain. It was probably one of my most memorable meals I've ever had on a hunt. That's innovation, man. I, I, I've only recently discovered the flat rock cooking next to the fire. But yes, yeah. there are times where we can't have fire or it's just not really feasible. But if you can find a flat rock, just put it on top of your little MSR. That's yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, uh, it works. I'm not packing a frying pan with me. So <laughs> yeah. It's Mother Nature's frying Oh, that's 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 Mother cool. Nature's frying pan. That's right. Awesome. Right? Lovely. Yeah. Hey, so 100%. Andy, do you get time to still work on your podcast? I, I've been sort of diving into there. Are you are you still able to produce those or are you life getting too busy? Yeah, or? so I mean it's it's I want to, and I always have a focus of trying to produce more episodes. Um, but at the same time, like I spend a lot of time building and putting everybody on there. I, it, before I relaunched it, there was almost 200 episodes. So I've gone through and oh, wow. deleted out like over 80 episodes. And what I've found lately for me is that when I'm out, at all these amazing places with these amazing people. Sometimes I'll be like, all right, let's do a podcast or let's set something up. But most of the time I just want to hang out and enjoy the conversation without having to have microphones and everything else and just kind of be more immersed in my present situation instead of planning on recording it and then putting it out. Um, Yes, I still am very much going to focus on it and be doing episodes and, and all of that. But my focus on it is a lot less than, than what it used to be just because I feel like I'm, I think a lot of it is like running my business from one end to the other and like having to do social media and having to do all that stuff when I'm with the people that I'm with, I just want to hang out and I just want yeah. to be present and be a friend, you know, or an associate or whatever, um, without being like, here, let's put on a headset, you know, and do more, more content, right? Like I'm just like overly contented out after the last year and a half. It's actually kind of like, I don't know if it's a downfall or, or what's going on with me. And I've actually been struggling with this probably for the last six months of like, I, I don't promote my sauce on social media really. Even, I mean, I could, I could do, I mean, I do a little bit, but I could do it a lot more as my business and my brand. Um, but I'm just not like, I'm not the guy that's going to be like, here, go buy my sauce. Have you gone to our website lately? Buy some sauce. Like that's just not me. I don't, I don't want to like, you know, I'm not, I'm not one to be like, Oh, we're out of stock. Like really we have five fucking pallets of sauce, but we're just trying to generate buzz. So more people want to buy it. You know what I mean? Like I'm just not that kind of a marketing guy. So I probably need to hire somebody for marketing so they can do it. And I don't have to feel one way or the other about it. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I've got like, 15 people lined up. I've got a few episodes that I haven't released. I just. I hear I you, man. Know. It's a lot, it's a yeah. lot of work and it's, uh, you know, the, you know, yeah. the, I enjoy it. Cause I get to like, I get excited about it when I get a chance to connect with someone like you and there's a story behind oh, it. Yeah. No, but totally. Like, I get it. Yeah. Like, like I, like I like that part, but like, I, like then I remember as well and kind of stumped for like where to go next with the podcast. And I'm like, I'm not that excited about just like going out and talking to somebody in the, in the industry and talk, you know, and, and talking about backpacks or guns or I, I just don't do that. I, it's more for me. I have no drive for that at all. Yeah, I, I have totally no interest in that. So I'm just like, I've been digging your podcast. It's a little bit like what we've done. We're just sort of taking people along for the adventure of the hunts. I've caught a couple of those on, on, on hunts and stuff. I've enjoyed those. So I'll, I'll be digging into your podcast some more over time and so if anybody wants to check that out it's the it's the flip-flop guy you can find it on any of the the platforms the other thing i yeah. stumbled across of your stuff was you did a you did a hunt to 
um, Kyrgyzstan for Ibex, and it was a bit of a production there. Is that something you're working on, or what's what's the scoop there? Uh, that we just had a camera guy come out with us. It was an amazing hunt, an amazing experience, and I wasn't going to go out there without having a camera guy roll because you got it. I mean, you know, it's like when I go when I go up to NWT, if I can have a camera guy with me, I'm bringing a camera guy. Yeah, 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 yeah for sure. No, it's kind of neat, and that we have a. Yeah, we have a couple of friends that actually like that's become their their little biz. They just like, you know, folks who are investing, you know, once in a lifetime hunts that why not throw another, you know, five thousand dollars and bring on a um someone camera. to follow you around with a camera and capture it and, and you know, they they're great mountain people and um yeah, and then you've got it captured for life and and you also get to share the story with your community back here. So it's it's kinda neat. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Exactly. So so if you if you want to check that hunt out, you can find Similarly, if you just Google uh, Andy and the flip flop guy, it'll come up in the YouTube and uh, that's yeah, fun. it'll come up in YouTube or if they go to the the Instagram page and look at the link tree, there's a link in there for all of it. Cool. Well, Andy, it's been a little really fun having you on here, and um, we look forward to when you get your next adventure plan in BC. We're 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 kind of rolodexes for information up here, so um, please lean awesome. on us for any of your adventure planning and. Uh, We'll definitely be checking back in when we uh, we'll get we'll send some photos your way um, as we're flip flopping. Please away. do, that would be great. I'd love it. I mean, well, I'm honored. So I'm honored to have a peck cooking cooking uh, <laughs> cooking legs. Like just because to me, like I I you know I I've heard so much about your whole family history and everything that 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 uh, I think you you said it was your uncle. Yeah, my great uncle right? was Tashodi. Yeah. Okay, so your great uncle and like you guys are legendary. Your whole entire family is legendary in the sheep community everywhere I go. And to have you cooking legs, like, thank you. Oh, well, thanks for I'm so happy that we came directly to the source to get this information and that I took really good notes because I hope I can do you proud. <laughs> you're good. <laughs> Let's keep it going. Yeah. Awesome, Andy. I'm so glad we made this happen, my friend, and uh, look forward to connecting more. And uh, if people want to find you, where do they come find you to ask questions about their flip-flop? Just at the flip-flop guy on Instagram is probably the easiest one. All right. Easy peasy. Okay, well, till next time, eat well, eat well, my friend. You too. Right on. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Hey folks, if you haven't left yet, it's Dylan back again. And um, we recorded that podcast with uh, Andy, I guess it was two or three weeks ago now. So I hadn't got a chance to send it off to our production folks to to turn it into a podcast. So you get a little bit of uh, a review of, of how the flip-flopping went and probably more importantly, how the wedding went and all the food that went with it. So happy to report that, you know, first off, we, she said yes, uh, Mickey said yes. So we are officially married and I'm, and well, we're both pretty thrilled and, um, and uh, yeah, we sure had a good time. The, the weather, I mean, was the one thing we had to worry about is whether or not the weather was going to, to work out so we could have an outdoor wedding and, and take advantage of a lovely, summer evening on the Vancouver Island and, and it was about as perfect as you can imagine, which made everything go so much easier. So without, um, so with that all figured out, the food was awesome. And, uh, we had Jody Peck, uh, cooking an amazing spread of wild food, um, starting out with, um, gosh, we had, uh, some beautiful prawns. Uh, Mickey and I had caught over, I think we probably talked about in the podcast, uh, about 500 prawns and, um, cut a halibut, course with uh, sorry a, a lingcod course with uh deep fried lingcod with this lovely lemongrass sauce and uh, served on a lettuce wrap and uh we had a salmon course with, oh, that was amazing because we caught a bunch of salmon the week before the wedding so we put salmon on the menu as well uh, but yeah the highlight for sure was the flip-flop and it was so much fun and it was so engaging having this like these huge barbecues going and friends of ours flipping legs back and forth and basting them in this uh kind of circle of people with the plates out waiting for a slab of um or well, a slice i should say of this uh, uh this game meat and the deer leg um slice of deer leg coming off the barbecue and um boy was it ever uh, a wonderful way to enjoy deer like deer leg it just it was really nice because it just it it you get this like the, the sear of the animal which is which is something that you know adds so much flavor and and 
as you know, with with uh, with any um, gamey, like you just can't overcook it. So it really, you get sort of a rare, uh, perfectly rare side and a little bit of sear side. And between the two, it makes for just a lovely balance uh, that makes for the perfect piece of of uh, of deer leg. And um, yeah, what a what a what a great um, great way to do um, uh, a party a party cook for for a deer leg. So we'll be doing the flip flop again and uh, probably celebrate our anniversary with a flip flop party every 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 few years maybe. So we're looking forward to that. Um, but yeah, we have to say thanks again to Andy for his time and, and coming on and talking to us. And it turns out he sent that box of um, of his flip flop marinade all the way from the States. And uh, I was following up with him trying to get a bill from him and he said that's a gift for our wedding. So another generous gift. Uh, to our wedding along with all the amazing support to put that party together from Jody and her cook team and and, uh, and all of our friends coming together to put on the what turned out to be a pretty amazing party so had um yeah amazing musicians and good friends uh Ben Rogers and uh, the Harpoonist and Axe Murderer come and play and uh Noah Walker some of uh some of Vancouver's best uh some of the best players all hanging out into the night playing amazing music. So yeah, Mickey and I couldn't be happier. So anyways, that's the wrap up. Uh, hope to catch you next time on the Eat Well podcast. Right on. See you later. Hey folks, I hope you enjoyed that podcast. Now, we'd love to hear from you. So drop us a question either on our Instagram or Email me directly at dylan at eatwild.ca and we'll do our best to answer that question on our future podcast or we might even build an entire podcast based on your questions. So thanks for doing that. So if you want to hear more from Eat Wild, you can come join us. We're doing a series of Eat Wild Learn to Hunt webinars. So we're getting together on a monthly basis talking about all things hunting with a group of mentors through a webinar format. There are tons of fun come join us there. Now, if you happen to live in the Vancouver, British Columbia area, we do in-person workshops where we get together, learn fundamental skills for you to be a better hunter. Hope you can hang out for one of those too if you happen to be in the area. Now, we'd love it if you could leave a review or a comment wherever you listen to your podcast. That'd be a great help to us. And more importantly, share this podcast with folks who care about the stuff we're talking about. So thanks for doing that. Until next time, eat well and wild. Well.